How many fish can I take home and fillet and take into my freezer? That's not what it's all about. It's all about the experience. If you just want to fill your freezer, it's a lot cheaper to go down to the fish market and fill your freezer. It's about the experience. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Design Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Grove, and with me, my special guest, Pete Gray. He happens to be my uncle, but the reason he's here is because he's the host of Let's Talk Hookup, which is a angler radio show based out of Southern California. Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Thomas. Great to be here with you on your podcast. What a beautiful setting we have here in southwest Florida, huh? You know how many fish are swimming underneath us right now? Two. And right next to the mangroves, probably hundreds. <laughs> Mangrove snappers. Pete, your show is focused on fishing. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I know nothing about fishing. I can tell you a little bit about what, what kind of fishing we do because there's so many diverse types of fishing. Okay, so your show doesn't cover all types of fishing. No, we're pretty much Southern California and Mexico and Alaska-based saltwater sport fishing. A little bit of freshwater fly fishing up in Alaska, maybe in the high Sierras in the West. But our main focus, we are based in the sport fishing capital of the world, which is San Diego. The largest sport fishing fleet in the world is based right in San Diego. And we go talk about catching giant tuna to 400 pounds to huge blue and black marlin and salmon and halibut in Alaska to uh, big marlin and, 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 and dorado and wahoo down in Mexico. Kind of very diverse, but pretty much all saltwater based. Have you done any shows about trout or bass? We've done some shows about trout, yeah. We do, uh, do have one of our sponsors is Katmai Lodge up in the uh, Lagnac River in Alaska, which your dad has been to, and we experienced some amazing trout fishing up there and beautiful spot. And we find that there's a lot of crossover with that type of thing because a lot of the saltwater anglers also like to go to Alaska and, and experience the different fishing up there. You know, fishing is a little off topic for design exchange, but I think hosting a radio show is not. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into hosting a radio show about fishing and how long have you been doing this? Yeah, well, 28 and a half years ago, I was a sales manager at a radio station in North San Diego County. I was there for uh, quite a number of years. Uh, and I started this show, Let's Talk Hookup, as something fun to do on the side. We actually started uh, Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock for one hour. And this was before the Internet, 1991, before there was fresh information at your fingertips all the time. And we basically started the show, and it was an instant hit. So very soon after that, three or four months, I moved it to one of the largest big signals in San Diego the called the Mighty 1090. And we moved it there. And my boss at the time, uh, who was a great guy, Jeff Chandler, um, said, well, as long as it doesn't interfere with your job, then you can continue this. And it wasn't soon after that where I was seeking sponsors and doing the show that it started interfering with my job and the people that were working for me were complaining to the owner and saying, you know, Pete's spending all his time doing this fishing show. So one day he took me out to lunch and said, you know, you need to make a decision. You want to do this or you want to do uh, be a sales manager at KKOS? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go pursue Let's Talk Hookup. So took a big gulp and a large cut in pay, and jumped into Let's Talk Hookup, and it haven't been able, have not needed to look back ever since. So it's been a great run. Uh, we've been since on, on three different radio stations for various reasons, but um, now the show is so heavily based on the internet streaming, on our app, Let's Talk Hookup app, as well as our, our, our website. So we podcast a lot like you, but also we're on live radio, uh, one, one of the stations in San Diego, the all-sports station called The Fan. And we continue to grow and grow as things change. That was the key, growing with the changes in Internet and uh, radio. 
because radio is very different today than it was in 1991. I think that person was driving faster than the uh, no-wake limit there. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, part of oh. I suspect this is not the first time you've recorded a show on a boat. You know what's funny, Thomas, is I've done many phone calls on satellite phones from exotic destinations on a boat, but never a full live interview on a boat. So this is a first. Well, if it turns out okay, you can roll this into your regular format. There you if go. You, if you yeah. like. Other than the distribution of your show, how has the industry changed since you got into it? You know, um, radio, because of competition from the Internet, has become much more challenging to find sponsors. And the whole key, there's a couple of keys in radio. Number one is having a good signal that uh, people are going to be able to receive. Not so much of a factor today as it was in 1991, because people can listen anywhere on their iPhones, their Android phones, their whatever device they have, they can listen via the app or the internet. So that's not so much of a factor as it used to be, um, have a 50,000 watt signal. Well, it's nice to have, but not as necessary as before. But what else has changed is the competition because so many more people are vying for the same dollars. And, and almost all of our uh, advertising revenues come from uh, fishing-based uh, sponsors. Uh, one exception would be Ford, but they're after the angler for selling trucks, of course. So in a way, it is fishing-based. So a lot more competition for the dollars, but fortunately, today we've secured a, a good, strong uh, following of many sponsors that have been with me for 20, 25 years, and they know they get results, and that's the whole key. So it's all kind of results-based. I mean, it's a, it's a big investment for people, and as long as they're getting the feedback and getting response from the ads, then they're going to continue. How do you think that your advertisers measure the response? Basically by sales. So let's take example of one sponsor we've had for 25 plus years is Rancho Lanero. It's a Baja resort down near Cabo San Lucas, fishing type of resort. And they know when the phone rings or they get something, they'll a lot of times ask, where did you hear about us? Well, we heard about it on Let's Talk Hookup. Well, the owner, John Ireland, does a fishing report every week about what the current conditions and the measurements are, they're getting feedback from those people about where they're hearing us. So that's that's key. Sometimes radio is radio or podcast is very hard to quantify. That's the hardest thing. The worst thing you can do when it comes to quantifying radio or podcasts is to have people respond to something like mention this ad and we'll give you this. That doesn't work. It never has and it never will because people won't do that. 90% of the people that are hearing that message aren't going to remember to say, mention this ad. The best way to get feedback on response is to ask people, how'd you hear about us? And a lot of times that doesn't work either. Sometimes I go, oh, you know, a friend of mine told me about it. Oh, I don't know. I was doing this and I, I just heard about your place. The best way to do it is just to just get the feel for where the, that response is coming from by talking to the people. You ever listen to Let's Talk Hookup? Oh, yeah, yeah, listen to that show. Yeah, it's cool. Did you hear our ad on Let's Talk Hookup? Oh, yeah, 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 I heard that. So that's the best way to quantify. Yeah. Within the YouTube space, there are certain advertisers that use, at least on the channels that I watch, mm. I see coming up again and again. Sure. So a lot of the channels I watch, they're advertising the same web host, let's say, or the same e-learning site. And if I had decided to sign up for one of those services, it would be hard to say that it was specifically because of this one channel when actually I'm right. getting re the message repeated to me again and again, right? Exactly. It's kind of the accumulative effect. Yeah. And I think even if, if your advertisers were not advertising on competing radio shows and yours was the only one, um, like was it today's episode that caused the person to make the buying decision or is right. it just because they've been listening to you for years and now with that brand name of your sponsor in the back as an earworm in the back of their head that they 
had some certain amount of confidence build up about that brand, mm-hmm. right? And now when they decided to buy a truck or a fishing rod or to go on a fishing vacation, that was the first thing that came to their mind, right? Right. Yeah, it all work has to work together, though. It may not just be the message on Let's Talk Hookup. It may be the message that the, their banner ad on the front page of their website, driving that something drove them to the website, whether it be the radio show or something they heard. But it's kind of all that stuff has to reinforce. And that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the hardest part of my job, because I do it all. I host the show. I sell all the ads. I write the spots, do all the billing, all the coordinating, all that stuff. I do all that. The hardest part of my job is sustaining the advertising and the messages that are proper to get the word out to people. And that's where... You have to get people to understand, well, why did that person click on your banner ad on your website? How did they find your website? you got to get them to think about things like that in order to quantify. What kind of sponsorship opportunities do you offer your client, your advertisers or your clients? Well, um, most of our ads based are uh, 60 or 30 second recorded advertising spots or even live spots that we do. Um, We also, when we we also host a lot of trips. For example, if I, I mentioned uh, Rancho Leonero or Katmai Lodge or Whaler's Cove Lodge or many of the other lodges, what we'll do is we'll advertise every week. We're on Saturday and Sunday morning, uh, two hours Saturday, two hours Sunday. Um, we'll run either one ad or two ads a week for these people. But one of the reinforcing things that we do for the lodges is we host a trip, join us trip. So join us in August at Whaler's Cove Lodge. Four-day trip, sign up, and uh, we'll host the trip. I'll go. My partner Rick will go. Um, my other partner Corey, who will be hosting a trip this Friday down to Lake El Salto in Mexico, which is actually a freshwater destination that a lot of saltwater guys go. Um, so that's kind of the where we uh, perform that way. Those trips are a kind of uh, not only are they a source of revenue for your advertiser, but they're also a chance for you to connect with your fan base, like personally? Exactly. Absolutely. You know, take, let's take, for example, one of our big sponsors is Shimano. They make fishing tackle, rods, reels, lures, and such like that. Um, Shimano's a huge international company. I mean, and they, and I'm sure you're familiar from the bicycle end of it. They're huge in bicycles. They're also huge in fishing tackle, too. But how does... How does Shimano quantify that their advertising is working on Let's Talk Hookup? Well, that's at the cash register of the tackle stores, getting feedback. We talk about a reel. Uh, We'll talk about a Tranks 400, for example, which is like an inshore casting reel. And we talk about that reel. People go to the tackle stores and, and say... You know, I want to ha- get that Tranks 400, or I heard those guys on Let's Talk Hookup talking about this Tranks 400. That's how somebody like that would quantify. If another example would be um, one of the one of the sport fishing boats, like a a full day uh, trip out of C4 Sport Fishing in San Diego, people will go on the boat and go, "Oh yeah, I heard you talk. I heard when you called in a fish report the other day, Captain Ryan, about how great the fishing is. So I had to come." That's the way you can, you know. But it, it, see what I mean? You've got to delve deeper into what's going on rather than saying, did it work? One of the first things you ever learn in selling advertising is you never ask the sponsor, how did that work for you? Because it never does, really, unless you delve deep into what's going on. So do these companies have teams of people that actually do reach out to retail and point of sale and and do that digging absolutely they'll have they'll have representatives that you know say how did how did we impact you how did you what's going on what if what we're doing helping you out type of thing and yeah for sure so i've got a new radio show i'm right you know i've just released i'm able to publish so far with my personal editing capacity about one episode a week so I'm about to publish episode nine as we're recording this. So I'm totally green at this, still right. learning as I go. What advice do you have for me or any aspiring podcasters out there who want to get into hosting a show of some type? Any words of wisdom for us? Absolutely. One of the keys you have to do 
in order. Now, I'm assuming you want to make money doing this. Eventually, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One of the keys, because you're not doing it for your health, obviously. You want to make some money and make a business out of it. One of the keys is to get your sponsors involved in the show. So, for example, um, I don't know what would be an example of a, of a sponsor, but you get them and you interview them and you talk about them. And that's one of our keys to our successes. Our show, we feature a different expert guest every week on every show, twice. So that's twice a week. We have two different guests. And many of those people are the people we're talking about on the show, but they're also sponsors in the show. So they come on the show, people call, it's ours is a live call in, ask questions, live show. It's a very different kind of format than the, than the recorded versions. But that's how um, those people know a lot of times is, is that you get them involved in the show and then they understand what you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you have to have a certain size audience before most sponsors would find it worth their time to be involved with your show, though. Well, interestingly enough, when I started in 1991, um, I had, you know, handfuls of listeners. I used to call my friends and say, hey, will you call the show this afternoon? And um, in order to, because they were a call and talk show, we needed calls to generate questions and make comments and stuff like that. So I, every week, my de deal was call my friends, say, hey, man, are you available this afternoon? Can you call in and, you know, ask a question of, of this particular guest. So yeah, when we started, we had a very small listener base, but as it grows, then you're going to be able to do more of that. You record your show early in the morning. We actually don't record, you record it. Yeah. We're live actually uh, on as well as on our, on our app, on the internet and as well as on 97.3, the fan, which is the, the current radio station that we're on. Uh, and then we record that show and archive all the shows. So seven to 9 a.m. Pacific time on the West. Yeah. Is that a popular time slot for uh, fishermen? You and know, it's a good time slot because people are getting their days going. We a lot of times hear the same thing. Hey, I'm sitting here enjoying my cup of coffee listening to Let's Talk Hookup. So we found original, our first gig was uh, 6 to 8 a.m. And that was that worked out fine, but it was just a little, first hour was a little bit early, not only for me, because I'd have to get up at 4 a.m., right? But also for the listeners, you know, things would really start to go about 7. So then I was able to convince the radio station that we needed to go 7 to 9. And so we've been about 20 years into that. Yeah. 20 years. So how long have you been doing the show? Uh, again, I... like 28 and a half years. We started in September of 1991. So... It's been a while, and I hope I can continue it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the, the it's a, it's a great lifestyle. It's a great life. I mean, I I get to do uh, fun things for my job, and you know, if I retire, what am I going to do? Go fishing? I do that anyway, right? So I might as well just keep going. Um, how do you keep it fresh? That's a good question. That's the that's a huge challenge, um, because there's only so much fishing you can talk about, right? And fishing changes every day and with every season. And for example, now we're looking at uh, mid January. Fishing in Southern California is pretty darn slow. No, non-existent in Alaska and pretty darn slow in Baja. So we have to find. You know, like where are people catching fish right now? Well, they're going on long range boats down in the southern waters of Baja catching tuna and wahoo down there. The hardest challenge is trying to keep fresh guests. But what we find is we have a lot of the same guests that call, but we'll talk about different areas that they're fishing. For example, the long range boat Royal Star. In the summertime, they're fishing the local rotters on, around Southern California, and we'll talk about catching bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna, yellowtail, and such. Now, they're going on 16-day trips and fishing down Southern Baja, um, south of Cabo San Lucas, and they're catching, you know, giant tuna, wahoo, um, and uh, that's the primary focus of that. Totally different set of tackle, totally different set of circumstances. So we try and keep it fresh by talking about the different things of what's going on currently. Are there any 
conflicts between commercial fishermen and sports fishermen? Absolutely. There are conflicts, but there's also kind of a, a unification about uh, sustainable commercial fishing. I think that's one of the keys that um, a lot of people have become aware of is, is the word sustainable, right? And what is sustainable? Sustainable means you're not going to basically wipe out the ocean. There are very, very, uh, there's very many countries um, out there, Spain, um, some of the countries in the Far East, that basically put down these these long lines that are 40, 50 miles long with hooks on it and catch everything that swims up to that hook and gets on that hook. Sharks, uh, turtles, um, and then maybe the target species of tuna or swordfish that they're trying to get. But there's so much what's called bycatch that is basically being dumped over the side. That's not sustainable. That's not a sustainable fishery. Large gill nets that cover the entire ocean, that anything that moves can swim into that. That's not a sustainable fishery. And I think that the awareness of sustainable fisheries has become much greater in that there's much more regulation, especially in the United States now, which are good, controlling commercial fishing so that it is sustainable while not putting those guys out of business. I'll give you an example. In Southern California, there's been a number of long, a long line fishery for swordfish, and also on the East Coast too. Um, they've developed this new methodology called a deep set buoy gear, which is one buoy, one line, goes down to 1,200 feet with a bait on it, generally speaking a squid, and it, it, it catches one fish at a time. And 99% of the catch is a swordfish. Occasionally they'll get a bycatch of a, of a shark, but that's a, that's a sustainable fishery because it's one fish, one hook, one, one line. It basically took the commercial fishery for uh, gill nets and long lines out of the picture and put these guys that are commercial fishermen on this deep set boiger. Well, what happened? These guys thought, oh, we're going to be out of business. We're not going to be able to catch enough swordfish to sustain us. Quite the contrary. These guys have been almost too successful with this deep-set gear. They're catching hundreds of, of swordfish. But it's a sustainable fishery, and that's something we have to accept. The byproduct, bycatch, what was the bycatch, word? Bycatch, yeah. The bycatch. Uh, why throw that out instead of tar harvest it? Well, because there's only these guys are out for months at a time, uh -huh. and there's only so much space in their fish holds. Um, so if they kept all the bycatch, they wouldn't make any money. So it's a financial thing. People don't want to eat sea turtle, is, is well, that, is that, is that yeah. Other than the fact that it's illegal, <laughs> um, yeah, that that that's a thing. But another thing that's that's really very very sad and that you see it a lot is uh, the, the act of shark finning. Uh, long lines, they, 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 they cut the fins, and there's a huge market in Asia for shark fins, and it's a, um, it's a black market because it's illegal to fin. But um, that goes on. Illegal fishing goes on, and, and the problem is, is there's nobody to watch over it, and that's the biggest problem. Mexico's a classic example. They've got uh, all these illegal... Um, Japanese long lines or, or Korean long liners or something coming into their waters and, and, and basically raping their ocean, but they don't have the infrastructure or the police force to police that to stop them. If they had a Coast Guard or a Navy, mm -hmm. would it be appropriate for that vessel to issue an ultimatum to the inf infracting, inf infringing vehicle and then launch torpedoes at it if they did not comply? Is that well, taking it too far or is that I okay? I can't speak for the government, but I mean, I, I, I would, but, but because of what they're, the, the destruction that they're doing. But I, I, I think that uh, there are some, some hostile methods being utilized by um, different police forces across the country. Uh, but there's also vigilante forces like the whalers, you know, the, the, the whaling that's going on. There's a lot of illegal whaling going on. And, uh, oh, I, I forget the name of that 
Sea Shepherds. The Sea Shepherds, yeah. And the Sea Shepherds are not just about whaling. They also go into the uh, into uh, the, the Sea of Cortez, the Gulf of California, and, and and watch over those too. There's a issue going on right now in the very upper part of the Sea of Cortez, uh, the Gulf of California, um, on this Baqueta uh, porpoise. It's the it's, it's the most endangered one of the most endangered species in the world. There's like five or six of them left, and all that happened because of uh, illegal gill netting for a fish called a tortuava. Well, a tortuava is also illegal to take, but in Asia there's such a huge value on the swim bladder of this tortuava. I'm talking five to ten thousand dollars per swim bladder. That there's Mexican pongueros, and there's talk about even the uh, cartels involved in it because there's so much money in it to go in and, and harvest these uh, illegal tortuava and basically uh, take the swim bladders out with these gill nets, but that they're killing all these baquetas porpoises. Sea shepherds were up there. They couldn't control it. It, it was just too many commercial guys uh, with too many nets trying to get it under control. Even the Mexican government sent in vessels. It was too difficult to control. They haven't been successful. It's kind of sad. They're going to wipe out a species. We're getting into a lot of politics here, which we try and not venture into on Let's Talk Hookup. Most of what we do on Let's Talk Hookup is... Uh, is we make people aware of issues of what's going on, but we try and talk about fun because fishing is fun, and and but there are, you need to sometimes talk about dark issues like uh, like illegal harvesting. Have you ever done bone fishing? Yes, yeah, here down in Florida here, and and I've been to Christmas Island. We've taken a couple of groups to Christmas Island, which is 1,200 miles south of Honolulu, uh, right on the equator, probably known as the most Pro, uh, prolific bonefish fishery in the world. Fantastic. I had, um, in a couple of days, I'm going to reconnect with my Zen master uh, who has moved to Portland. And he had a bonefishing story. Something like he went to Christmas Island to do bonefishing and uh -huh. he was excited about that. And he told his Zen master about it. And his Zen master like uh, kind of chastised him. And my Zen master was like, it's okay, it's catch and release, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and then his teacher was like, you know, how do you know that that fish isn't terrified? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's amazing about, and, and there's a large controversy about catch and release, right? Especially when it comes to people like groups, like wacky groups like PETA. Um, there has been countless number of times and proven times that whether it be a bonefish, a marlin is another catch-and-release species, where they've satellite-tagged these fish, and these fish are either caught the same afternoon or the next day again. So they don't I think learn from that, their mistakes. I think that pretty much <laughs> says that you're really not doing much damage if you handle the fish properly. Yeah. That's the key, is handling the fish properly. <laughs> you can, uh, can imagine a cartoon where the one bonefish looks over to his friend and he says, Hey, Marv, can you believe these idiots? They just keep feeding us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that'd a good a far good, side comment. That'd be a good one, yeah. You said fishing's fun. Right. What do you find fun about fishing? Uh, it's, it's, um, it can be challenging and fun. I mean, it's pretty exciting. Have you ever caught a fish? I spent a lot of time not catching fish. Not catching fish. So that's... Well, see, there you go. So <laughs> if you caught fish, and, and one of the things I would recommend to people, if they're not fishermen, hire a guide. Go out with a guide, especially if you're not familiar with the local waters. Hire a professional guide, and you'll get on fish with a professional guide. And as we say on Let's Talk Hook Up, you'll be hooked after that. Because there's also a saying in fishing, the tug is the drug. If nothing's tugging on the end of the line, it's really not, as thrilling as just kind of sitting there, if you're just sitting there and you're not getting any kind of a tug. But actually, I think the thrill is watching that line scream out and the challenge of trying to land that fish before he gets away. Yeah. It's like a primal, primordial yeah, hunter. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the it, thrill it, of the hunt. The thrill of the hunt. Yeah. But the, the nice thing about fishing, unlike hunting, is it's not a permanent decision. If you choose to release that fish, you can. And I do, I, I release probably at least 50% of the fish I catch. If We have a saying it's on my boat. It, it, 
if you're going to eat it, we'll keep it. If you're not going to eat it, we'll release it. And that goes for everything, uh, tuna, yellowtail, whatever. If you, the, the, and if you have enough in your freezer already, let's let it go. Fight another day. For sports fishermen, are there quotas they're not allowed to exceed? There are daily bag limits, uh, for example. And it's interesting because where we live in San Diego, we fish two different waters. We fish Mexican waters and we fish California waters. And in California, let's take tuna, for example. There's a limit of 10 yellowfin tuna per day. And in Mexico, it's five yellowfin tuna per day. Mexico limits are all always five fish, with the exception of bluefin tuna, which is two fish per day, which is also the same in California. Is it a more rare fish? Well, there's a lot of controversy about that. There were studies done that said that they were um, a threatened species. And a lot of that came from uh, massive overharvesting. Well, the waters in Southern California and Baja are prolific with bluefin tuna the last five years. Reducing the limit to two, I think two fish is enough. It's okay if, if we have any question whatsoever of whether that fish is threatened. Yeah, fine, two is enough, and that's a daily. So if you're out for three days, you can take, you can take up to three days limit, so you can take six. Is that two per person two or per two per person. boat? Two per person, uh-huh. right, yeah. So you have 10 people on a boat for three days, that's, that's 60 tuna. That's plenty of fish, yeah. I had um, heard somewhere that the popularity of sushi had caused uh, some concern in, in terms of tuna uh, stocks around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is visit the Tokyo fish market to see the abundance of fish that come from all over the world, which I'd highly recommend the Toyosu fish market in Tokyo. If you're in, into seeing an amazing array of fish, go visit that market. And also the sushi inside there is fantastic too. But when we came to visit you in, in, in Tokyo or in uh, Osaka there, and then we went to Tokyo, we had a, a tour of this, uh, of, this, uh, of this amazing market. And this happens every day. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of fish every day that go to the various markets not just in Tokyo, but all around the world. I know a, a sushi bar in Southern California. He buys his fish from Toyosu and has them flown back to to uh, to San Diego. I have some friends down at the dock that will sell you it for yeah. half the price. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> but and they grade the fish and such like that too. So, yeah, but yeah, there's a there's a, a quite a, a hunger for fish across the country. There's a lot of. Uh, you know, I partially live in in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of issue in Vietnam and in the Philippines uh, because China has this, uh, to get political, China has this nine-dash line, they call it. They took the map that everyone else has, and they drew a line that goes just around everybody's coast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything that would be normally considered like international waters. China's right. like, no, that's actually ours. That's ours. F- from everyone else's perspective, it's incredibly aggressive by China. Um, you're taking our fisheries. You're taking our gotcha. oil yeah. rights or whatever else right. might be there. But from China's perspective, I think it's, it's a couple of things. But the, the, the main thing is we have a very large population that needs to be fed. Absolutely. You know? And they love fish. And not, not that much coastline. Actually, like compared to the overall landmass of China, like yeah. the amount of coastline is not that that huge, and their coastline is surrounded by other countries basically that yeah. are claiming those lands. So, well, China, China's actions speak for themselves. Look what they're doing to the earth; it's not good. So, I, I, I we certainly wouldn't want to follow their lead. China's weird, a weird example there because I mean, actually, I don't know, I don't know anything about China. Just. I'll probably cut this whole section out. <laughs> I landed, I, my, my flight landed, uh, I had a, a transit in China on my way here. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh man, I'm sure happy that I've kept my views about Hong Kong um, not that publicized on Facebook or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> like I don't need to uh, just arrive at the to airport. To be arrested at yeah, the airport. Just, which is, I mean, like, it's something you could see happening. I could see America doing that, and I could see China doing that. 
to people that they felt to be a political dissonance. Yeah. China is a weird example because being a one-party system, I think they're more able to take environmental actions, like positive environmental actions than uh, America, where we like, try to vote and come to a consensus on what mm -hmm. our vi environmental policy should be and then make very little progress. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if there have been some fairly progressive environmental policies coming out of China already and going into the future as, as well. Um, certainly, I think it's a kind of place where they're going to make decisions that help their bottom line, but but they also they also plan like 50 years into the future. And they, you know, I think they can see trends about... What's going on. Yeah. Well, that we can only hope. Yeah. Yeah, so for we'll, sure. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Fishermen are uh, known for their tall tales. They always talk about the one that got away. Pete, what are some of your... Favorite fishing stories that you have? Oh, it was this big. That's it. Actually, um, boy, I have so many um, different fishing stories. And um, uh, so, give I, me your top three. Count. Oh, I I don't even know. That I could I could say top three, but <clears throat> I can say this. One of my favorite things to do is to go out on my own boat and take uh, uh, my friends and my customers and, and 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 fellow fishermen out and and put them on fish and in particular in the summer um that means bluefin and yellowfin tuna in southern california as well as yellowtail but i love um finding a school of fish and then having that fish get what we call under the boat and having it just everybody gets a bite and we land um, land a good quantity of fish. But as far as some of my favorite fishing adventures, I've, I've fished New Zealand with some friends for giant yellowtail. Um, and actually, we fished White Island, which is the island that just exploded off of, off of uh, New Zealand and, um, and, and uh, caught yellowtail up to 94 pounds. Now, a yellowtail... A 94-pound yellowtail is unheard of, but that not in New Zealand. In California, your average yellowtail would be 20 pounds. Same fish, pretty much. They call them kingfish in, in New Zealand. They live longer there? I, or? It's the same species. I don't know why. I, I, I can't explain that. I'm sure there's a scientific explanation, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's their diet over there. They're just a tougher environment. I've been on uh, long-range trips where I've been on a boat for... 10, 12 days down at, uh, at a chain of islands called the Rivejeros Islands or Hurricane Bank and, and caught uh, yellowfin tuna, my biggest being uh, 230 pounds. Um, and uh, I've also had days in our local waters this past year where we caught bluefin tuna over 300 pounds just 50 miles from home. The other thoughts about uh, some of the other great uh places I've been, it would be um, Katmai Lodge, uh, where we talked about in the river there, you have uh, incredible, and your dad is shaking his head here behind our cameraman himself. Um, you have uh, grizzly bears uh, right behind you, or brown bears right next to you, and you're catching these beautiful salmon and trout out of this pristine river in Alaska. That's, that's such a great adventure. Or down in southeast Alaska at a place called Whaler's Cove Lodge, caught giant lingcod uh, up to 50 pounds down there and, and beautiful salmon out of the water there. Um, so there's a lot of different diverse opportunities going down to the Baja coast to Rancho Lanero or Palmas de Cortez out uh, fishing for uh, for marlin off off the coast there or tuna and hooking into a striped marlin that jumps numerous times uh, off off your boat and just the visual sight and then seeing that fish and then reviving it and watching it swim away those are some some highlights but over the number of years I, I actually grew up fishing with my dad my dad had a boat in san diego and we used to fish uh back in those days albacore which is a form of tuna which have vanished from Southern California waters for the last nine or 10 years. They'll come back. It's a cyclical thing. They've moved kind of north because our, our waters have warmed up, but they'll, they'll come back around. But we used to go uh, pursue, when I was a young kid, Marlin and, 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 and Albacore with my dad on, on his boat. Those are some great memories for sure.
That's the other thing about fishing is sharing the experience with your family and friends, too. I think that's what one of the things that's so special about and that people love so much is that's something you can share with, with people, whether they're experienced fishermen or whether they're novice fishermen. You said that the, the tug is the drug. Yes. But what about the times that you just sit out there in quietness? Isn't that an aspect of fishing, too? Well, look where we are. What a beautiful environment here on the mangroves. And like I said, there's probably thousands of fish swimming under us right now that we could catch if we had the right arsenal, right? And the right bait. You see the birds and the dolphins catching them all the time. Yeah. So. That's the thing about the ocean or the rivers that you um, appreciate is you've got to look around. You've got to stop and look around. And I think that's a very good point, Thomas, because that's something that a lot of people miss sometimes when they're fishing. It's all about filling the sack. How many fish can I take home and fillet and take into my freezer? That's not what it's all about. It's all about the experience. If you just want to fill your freezer, it's a lot cheaper to go down to the fish market and fill your freezer. It's about the experience. So getting back to sponsorships, how does one go about finding sponsors and then how do you maintain those relationships? That's a good question, Thomas. You know, what's interesting about that is you have to kind of throw a big net out and see what comes to your net, to use kind of a fishing terminology, right? Um, you've got, and you've got to work at it constantly. You've got to work at it all the time. You have to, of course, look what fits your podcast or your radio show or whatever you're doing. And if it fits, uh, pursue them. And then also be loyal to those sponsors. For example, there's hundreds of different tackle and tackle manufacturers, uh, but we have Shimano, which is one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, and we could get sponsorship from many, many rod and reel companies, but we're loyal to, to them. And uh, th I think loyalty sticks goes a long way as long as they're, they're getting results. So I think that once you find a sponsor that sticks with you, you work very, very diligently to make sure they're getting the results they need. How do you do that? You make sure that you include them, not just an ad on the show, but include them on the show. For example, if somebody calls our radio show and says, you know, I want to know what the best reel to go catch a calico bass is and rod and reel setup. Well, it's like, okay, well, um, I highly recommend you go look at the Corrado, the Shimano Corrado DC and this appropriate rod to go match with it. Fill it up with uh, Power Pro Super 8 Slick 50 pound and then Seaguar fluorocarbon and you have a winning combination there. Put a gamakatsu hook on it, and that's great. So that way, you're recommending what the people that are supporting you, you're recommending the, the, the products that are supporting you within the program itself. There's a really important part of that, though. You've got to believe that those are the best products. I think that's really important. You can't tout a, a great product and not believe in it. So I think you have to have... you have, And that way... Your, your listeners are going to believe you about what you're saying. And then if you believe it, they're going to believe it. So getting results by integrating those sponsors in the show and actually utilizing those products for yourself. As I have no sponsors, it's hard for me to really have like a follow-up meaningful question within this, this field. But, but what, let's, let's take a look at that, though, Thomas. What would be kind of a somebody that would fit your podcast i was con you know I, I was considering to do my own brand as as one of the sponsors but you believe in your own brand I do. so that for, was, for yeah. sure for sure <laughs> of course yeah it's a question though of, of it's taking me so long to produce each episode that i haven't taken a step back to say okay now how do i produce produce the ad segments right. to include in there. And that's the challenge of, of doing things like this, is when you do this on your own, like you and I both do, you've, you've got to you be a plate spinner. You know the guy in the circus that had seven different plates spinning and he had to constantly keep spinning those plates on the end of the stick to keep them all going? That's what you have to do in this job, is you have to be constantly monitoring all the different facets of, of what you're doing. Whether it be 
producing the commercial, writing the spot, servicing the client, producing the show, finding an appropriate guest for the show, uh, editing, ed- editing and such. Now, we don't have to edit because we're live. So that's, that's a big part of your job, I know, is doing the editing. But um, let's just say you had a resort here in, um, in Florida uh, that wanted to sponsor your podcast. So let's say the La, La Playa Resort in Naples, Florida, wanted to bring people to Florida from wherever this podcast is going. Then you would have to go basically um, go to that resort and get uh, reactions from various people that go there. Like I could envision a great spot for a resort like that would be you out there with your microphone. Hey, what do you love about the La Playa Resort here in Naples, Florida? And getting kind of firsthand things about what people love. So that way you're getting testimonials. And testimonials are, are, are a good way to sell product. Here's like a weird concept. There's very local ads you could do. Like, okay, I'm doing, I'm servicing this community. I'm finding businesses in this community that I want to reach out to. My brother-in-law, Dan, he's got a theater company in Dexter, Michigan. I imagine when they do a show, they could go to the local businesses and say, would you like an ad in the the show pamphlet? Like the, the book that you get when you go to see the show, right? It's targeted mostly based on the locality. Right? It's like, this person is in this location, this other business is in the location, so let's match them together. Uh, I see myself as a little more indepe- uh, location independent, and it's more of just that the topic is what matters, not the location, right? So I would need to potentially look for maybe design courses. There's maybe some online design right. school that has courses and Perfect. wanted to. yeah. Now, but what about Dan? What about promo- that's a classic example promoting the theater? They need promotion, they need that. So there's a potential sponsor, and that's a perfect way to talk about it. You interviewed them, you'd had an interview with them. What a perfect in to talk about a sponsor. But that's just pretty much anybody that has a product or service that that you interview is a potential client. And that's kind of where you, the way you start to have to think about that. Is things. there not like a conflict of interest there? I, in some way? I think it's an important part of what you... The only way you're going to sustain the podcast is if you're, you're making a, a money off of it. And, and it's not an infomercial if you're talking about other things around it. You, don't, you want to avoid the infomercial. You want to allow people to voice their opinions about competing products then it's not an infomercial right right is there anybody doing electric motors for outboard engines instead of gasoline powered outboard engines that's interesting you know um the technology uh for example yamaha which is the finest in my opinion of any of the outboards the technology is so good now in four-stroke outboards with emissions and the efficiency of these motors that a lot of the the pursuit of of new technology is taken second second base because these motors are so efficient now there are electric motors but they're not very powerful um, is it feasible to get enough horsepower uh, like a tesla or something like or a prius or something like that on a boat I, I, that's a good question. I don't know that, that that technology. The problem is batteries and weight, and 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 how much power you need to to to, to perform out of out of out of a out of a prop. Um, takes a lot more horsepower to drive a boat than it does to drive a car. So, whether that technology is being pursued, I, I, I'm not really sure. The numbers that are on the back of these. Uh, engines is that the displacement or is that the horsepower that's the horsepower yeah and the, and these these motors like this is for example a yamaha 175 four stroke um back in the day uh even 20 years ago when there were two stroke outboards i mean the difference in efficiency this one probably gets four miles to the gallon for example at a at a, at a 20 knot cruise uh those motors would get 
two miles to the gallon, as well as having to, to spew a lot of emissions, too. The emissions that these spew are very, very light, very, very small. Yeah. The reason that the new technology is different than the old technology, two-stroke versus four-stroke. Two-stroke necessitated mixing oil into the gas in order to lubricate the engine. These four-stroke outboards are much like your car engine. You actually put the oil into the crankcase and run it like, like your car. And so, therefore, the, the emissions are a lot less. That said, this engine is probably not more efficient than a Honda Civic's four-stroke engine, right? No, because you're driving a, a propeller versus wheels, right, on a transmission. Yeah. I mean, you think about, think about this. Look how big that engine is versus a 175-horsepower car engine is going to be much, much larger than that. Yeah, how do they make it have as many horsepowers, but it's so much smaller? It's technology, yeah. The technology has just become so efficient. To, to, but that's why they're so expensive. I mean, that outboard's probably fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Yeah, and, and, and the technology and, and the way the gearing and such like that, yeah. But technology comes with a price. Hmm. If it was an uh, electric motor, it wouldn't need gearing. As, as, as I understand it, right? You just feed it more electricity to make it go faster. Well, you still need to drive the prop, though, right? Yeah, but it, yeah. Could, be, it could directly drive the prop. Unless you, want, unless you needed to use some kind of gearing to, for like efficiency yeah. sakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as I know, you could just, yeah, you just could directly, yeah. the motor could be, have a prop attached to it directly. Yeah. Have you ever seen those motors that they use in the uh, swamps of Vietnam? I'm sure you have, where they're basically like like a like a prop on the end of a pole yeah. that's driven by like a, a two-stroke um, uh, uh, lawnmower engine. Yeah, I've seen those. That's real safe. You think that would be that? You think that would be approved in the United States? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and those boats are super slow too. Yeah, because it's inefficient. You know, it's basically kind of puddling a bunch of, 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 of water on the surface rather than driving the boat forward. Yeah. So in terms of let's talk hookup, you have the, sh you have the show, the live broadcast, you have your app it's available as a podcast, you've got a website, you have these live events that you sometimes do. Uh, I assume you have social media like Facebook, Maybe Facebook and Instagram. Instagram. Yep. Do you do Twitter also? No, we don't. How much of all that are you doing, and then what kind of team, if any, do you have around you helping you produce? Taking it right from when we do our live broadcasts on the air from 7 to 9 a.m., uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, at 9 a.m., we have a producer, Adam, that takes the recording of that show and then uploads it to... Uh, to our bank or wherever it goes, it goes into the sky somewhere on a computer somewhere, and then uh, and then converts it into a podcast onto our app or uh, on our, our archives section of our website. And so Adam uploads all that and does all that. Um, as far as ads on our website, as far as uh, uh, our listeners will send me a picture sometime of their favorite catch. And I'll upload that, uh, change our guests, so who's going to be our guest every week on the show. I'll make all those adjustments on our website, fairly simple um, adjustments. Um, all the Facebook uh, posts, uh, pretty much myself and my partner Rick do. Uh, we'll go fishing, post an Instagram, Facebook picture, post an Instagram, Facebook picture of the guest in the studio each week. That's pretty much done by myself or, or mostly by myself, but Rick too does it too. For those listeners of, of the Design Exchange podcast, what you don't know is that there's long periods of silence where I kind of ingest what the guest said and try to think about where to go next with with the conversation. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes there's a flow and it just keeps going, but but there's definitely a lot of episodes where I cut out like a minute of silence. You can't do that with a live show though. No. So how live. do you keep it going? How do you keep the banter up? Yeah. 
Is it just from practice or it just happens? It's a good question. I think one of the things is you have to be enthusiastic about what you're doing and, and, and be really excited about what's going on, whether that comes from coffee or uh, whatever, uh, or just from the inside, which it does for me because I only drink decaf now, which I kind of miss the, decaf- the caffeine, but but it's definitely harder at 7 a.m. without caffeine. I will tell you that, no doubt about it. But how, does, how do we keep that enthusiasm going? Because uh, I'm excited about talking about fishing and about the guest. So the guest is really the important part. I always told Rick from the beginning, the guest is the star. We are the facilitators. We are basically just the guys that are facilitating the entertainment, but we want to make the guest the star. And then also the other, the, the, co, the, the co-stars are our phone calls. So we get a lot of phone calls from a lot of same phone calls and then a lot of new phone calls. People want to call in and ask questions. Uh, we bribe them to call in because we give away great prizes every week from, from some of our sponsors. But that's kind of what keeps that live show going, the phone calls and the interaction with the guest and keeping the enthusiasm up. You've got to keep, you've got to keep the excitement up in radio. Otherwise, you're going to lose the listener. For any of you out there who I've already lost, I'm sorry that I'm not necessarily the most enthusiastic person. <laughs> you know what? I, I, here's a suggestion I would make. Why don't we bring in your dad to tell us a fish story about his experience? Maybe fishing with me or fishing what? I mean, that a lot of times gets some excitement. You bring new faces into the podcast and say, maybe, uh, hey, come in and tell us about your favorite fish story. What do you think of that idea? You like it, Thomas? Yeah. Let me get out of the seat here. No, I'll just no, no, no. You've got to interview us. Oh, I... I I'll yeah. Just, just sit right there yeah. next to Pete. Yeah. All right. Well, you're going to need uh, one of the two microphones. Yeah. I'll, I'll borrow this one. Yeah. I'll just... Yeah, we'll share. It's my father. Uh, he's not been on an episode yet, so this is my dad, Billy Grove. Hi, everybody. I wanted to bring him in because he's got some dynamic fish stories to tell. And we've fished together in a lot of beautiful places, right, Philly? Why don't you tell us about that? Well, the first time I went out to fish with, with Pete for serious fishing was at Dove Island Lodge yes. in Alaska, outside of Sitka in Alaska. We went up to Wrangell first on that trip and then ended up at Sitka. And we had a, a competition at the lodge of the, all the folks who were there, and the largest king salmon actually got to come back the next year for free. Right. Well, we had our wives with us too, and yeah. so we had really had a competition oh, going. Oh yeah, because the girls and, are always lucky. Oh yeah, they're always lucky, and they were on a different boat than the guys, and they were screaming insults back and forth to us, you know. And and it, when we got back to the dock that night, my wife had the largest king salmon until mine was weighed. It was four four ounces more than hers. Oh, I'll bet you you're in trouble. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I got to go back the next year with Pete. Another year, we went up to Katmai Lodge on the Katmai River, and Pete was telling earlier on about the amazing experience to be there fishing, and there's a brown bear right there. Uh, Just, you know, you just got to be so careful, and the trout up there was so amazing. But So the first day we were on that that trip, uh, my wife Katie, she... uh, I think within an hour she had to be catch and release, but she had caught about... Oh, maybe 12? I haven't gotten one yet. (laughs) But on all of these trips, we were always able to bring back our limit. That's 50 pounds per person of uh, salmon. To, uh, to keep salmon and halibut. Uh, salmon and halibut. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's just the most fantastic uh, fish. So my brother-in-law, Pete, I love going out with you. Fishing with you is just an amazing thing. Oh. And, and, and that's the thing. Look at the enthusiasm in his face. And that's what kind of the, the tug is the drug is a good name for it. I mean, it's, it's really what kind of gets you excited about fishing. Is it yeah. taking home the fish? 
well, that's the ultimate reward, I suppose. But no, I, what's really exciting is when you when that line goes, when that rod goes like that. <laughs> and you bring that. I'll never forget when we were up on that little river where when we flew in on that uh, 1942 Fokker or something, uh, yeah. Otter uh, seaplane, and landed. The guy dropped us off there, and we walked up a couple of miles and fished the whole day down that river. And when I landed my first salmon up there, I mean, I was just kind of like almost falling on it because I didn't want it to get away. It was just so exciting. And uh, that's, I'm not the, the devoted fisherman, but when you do it and you actually do get your, your, your hook, the tug is the drug, that's totally true. But and it's being out here, isn't it? It's being out, just being on the water. Yeah. And that's, see, that's an example, Thomas, of how you keep things exciting in a podcast or a radio show is you bring in other people and their experiences because I mean after a while people don't want to hear me people don't want to hear you they want to hear other people and get involved so um, that would be something that if, if I were to suggest something for your podcast is bring in more people into your interview that are related into the same subject and uh, some other variation, maybe. Like, for instance, we're going to do a drone shot of this area uh, momentarily. You could maybe use in your uh, intro or at the end of uh, this podcast. And I think just let me wrap this whole thing up beautifully. Primarily because I just had a text from your wife wondering where we are. Yeah. So let me wrap this up then. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Yeah, good job. Good story. Good fish story. <laughs> Pete, thank you for taking the time to meet with us today, share your experience. My pleasure. I think it's going to be really helpful for aspiring podcasters to get this kind of insight based on 30 years experience. If people want to learn more about Let's Talk Hookup, where can they find out more about your show? Yeah, so uh, we have a great website, letstalkhookup.com. Uh, you can also download our app in the App Store, Google Play. It's a free app. Just type in Let's Talk Hookup, and uh, you'll find our app there. You can live stream the show. You can listen to archive shows. You can, uh, you can get to our Facebook, our Instagram, um, and our website from that, too. And if you happen to be based in the San Diego area, what... This, what's, the, what's the frequency? The dial position is 97.3, the fan. It's the home of the San Diego Padres. And uh, so if you're tuning in on the radio, there you go. But again, the easiest way to take it with you, no matter whether you're in San Diego or anywhere, is download that app. Great. Thanks a lot, Pete. Thank you, Thomas. Good luck with the podcast. Thank I know you. you're going to do great at it. Thank you for that enthusiasm. All right.